Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Today, we have an awesome guest coming all the way from Indiana. He's been full-time pharmacy occupation. He's been doing that for the last- 12 years. 12 years, okay. And then the last four years, he's been investing in real estate on the side, really built up an unbelievable portfolio, 36 units with more on the way. He's got three different projects he's about to do a couple flips on starting next month. And he's done everything under the sun. Rentals, flips, land contracts, seller financing, lease options, direct mail, you name it, this guy has done it. So it's really awesome to be able to have him on here because a lot of people have that mindset of how can I get out of my, my J-O-B or my day job that's killing me and really chase their passion. When other people out there, like Drew, and I've, I've interviewed a few other people in a previous podcast that really do enjoy their job, and they worked hard for this occupation, and now they, they are just really looking for an additional stream of income on the side. And this guy obviously has some work ethic to be doing both and really be able to crush it. So with that being said, Drew, what is going on, brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, dude, I'm, I'm super excited that you're on here. I, I know you have like a ton of value for all the listeners. So I'm just really pumped to get you on here and be able to share your story. So for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into who you are, where you're from and exactly what you do? So uh, like Brandon said, I'm a doctor of pharmacy and I've been in leadership at the local hospitals for about 12 years. Um, but I started, I, I had one rental for about 12 or 13 years. It was just the house that my wife and I lived in. And then we chose to rent it when we moved out. But then I just kind of coasted, you know, worked on my career and master's degrees and, and other things that I wanted to go on and do. But then kind of came back to real estate about four, four and a half years ago and really wanted to start building it up for the sake of security, you know, just in case that J-O-B does go away, even though I enjoy that job and I want yeah. that to be a key piece of what I do moving forward. In case it goes away, I want to not be left out in the cold. So started with just some basic rentals and kind of went from there. We flipped one or two and then most people will tell you to find a niche and hammer it away, hammer away at it. I tend to be one though that really enjoys learning and education and trying new things. And so for better or for worse, I really enjoy finding that new method, studying it, trying it a time or two and then going on to the next thing. And I think that's actually allowed me to do a lot of different things. Yeah. It lets me take down a couple of deals that I probably would not have had the expertise to do if I would have chosen one thing and stuck with. I love that, you know, because when I am coaching people like one-on-one, I really do try to get them to, to laser beam focus into one strategy. And because a lot of people out there are like scattered and they're not doing exactly what you did by actually implementing and getting a few deals before they move on to another strategy. So you obviously have some kind of very narrow focusing at the time. And then you get a couple of deals done after that. You're like, okay, I understand this strategy now. Now I can move on to the next and figure out this one. Well, so, I, I think that's probably the trick is to, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and try to do everything at once. Yeah. 
that's not what I would suggest. I would say, you know, if you want to do rentals, you find a couple people around you doing rentals, find a mentor or, or someone you can learn from. And once you've done it a time or two and feel like you've got that tool locked up and put it in the toolbox and, and start working on another one. So yeah. I, I wouldn't tell people to move on until they, they have at least a baseline mastery of, of that first skill set. Yeah. And I think that's the key point behind it because at the end of the day, there's a lot of shiny syndrome out there of jumping on social media and you see a bunch of different people with some perfect strategy that they make it look very easy and they're crushing it in doing that. So you're trying to do wholesaling for a second. That becomes difficult. You're not getting any leads. So then you just put up the wall and you move on to something else and and that just becomes like a trend. So Definitely want to avoid that situation, but once you implement it, take action on it, then maybe that isn't exactly the strategy that you want to go with, or you want to be well-versed and check out the different options, which is awesome. Sure. So let's, let's talk about your job for a second. So sure. you've been doing that for, you've been a, in the pharmacy industry at a, at a local hospital close by you for the last 12 years. Yep. And why real estate? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I worked for one hospital system for several years and another opportunity came up at the other one here in town. And so as I continue down kind of that pharmacy leadership path, I've had a chance to see a lot. But I have seen people who have the most secure job in the world and all of a sudden it just disappears, you know, and it comes out of nowhere. And so um, we've been really blessed and fortunate that my wife stays home with the kids and all of that. But so that makes me the sole breadwinner in my house. So for me, real estate really didn't start out being about getting rich or anything like that. It was really a safety net so that if the day comes where I need a secondary plan, I've got one. Yeah. Um, Now, of course, four or five years into it and being able to scale the way that we have and do some of the cool things that we've been able to do, it hasn't changed my love for pharmacy. I still definitely want to stay on that track, but it, it has shown me the potential to be much more than just the safety. Okay. I love that. So let's talk about, I mean, you've done the whole list. I did an episode a couple weeks ago in regards to there's 30 plus ways to make money in real estate. So like step number one is to go over uh, just broadly each individual one, see what you resonate with and see what resources you have that align with it. Hopefully something stands out and you've done a lot of these. So I'm just curious, you know, which one did you start off with and, and why, why was that attractive to you? Sure. So at the core, I'm a buy and hold guy. Um, Uh I like the rentals. Um, Having a fairly significant W-2 income, not only do I like cash flow and principal pay down, but the tax advantages that come along with um, being able to use those passive losses, those paper losses to drive down my tax liability is is, uh, important to me. And so um, I started with rentals just because that felt like the most secure. Um, And, you know, working a job, there will be phases where I can do lots of real estate and there'll be times where I got to buckle down at work and let it sit. And with rentals, you can set them and not forget them, but a lot of what's let me be successful is I can hire it out property managers and contractors and all that. And I'm not above going to help out when I need to, but most people take care of those things for me. Um, and they do, and I'm only successful because of the, those people around me. Yeah. Um, But that's kind of why rentals because I can systematize it. And with flips, Flips can be great money, but as soon as you stop flipping, the money's gone. Um, And that's not the way it is with rentals. 
Okay. So I definitely want to talk about in just a moment, the leadership role that you have in, in kind of guiding people to success and making sure that the right people get attracted to you, building up your team, nevertheless. But I do want to talk about if you could just broadly go over the last four years, what that looked like with the different strategies. Like I know you started off with rentals, yeah. but then when did you jump into your first flip? or land contracts, you know, when did you start actually doing the direct mail? Sure. Yeah, it kind of with, with each one of those, I think, uh, you know, you kind of master that one tool, but then you, you come up to some sort of roadblock, you know, so for example, the direct mail here in Fort Wayne, um, I, I got my real estate license once upon a time early on. And so I okay. was able to use the MLS and find a couple deals here and there. Um, but then it started getting hotter and hotter and yep. more difficult to find those deals, right? So in 2016, give or take a little, that's kind of where the direct mail came from. As I said, okay. I, I can't find the deals and the margins that I want. So I got to go find these buyers or maybe even create these buyers that don't even know that they want to sell. Um, yeah. You know, it was wildly successful. So, you know, I think each mechanism that I tried to implement usually comes out of a place of pain or a, a roadblock that I've got to figure out how to how to overcome. Okay. And for the direct mail, did what kind of systems did you have in place for that? Were you hiring out a company or were you writing these yourself? Sure. I started out writing them myself. Um, they were relatively small campaigns. What I wanted to do was move from single family to multifamily, small multifamily. And so I just targeted um, every duplex in the zip codes that I wanted that were owned by mom and pops. Um, and so in 2016, I think I was able to buy seven of them. Now through that, I learned a lot about seller financing because a lot of those people enjoyed the income from the property, but they were tired of managing it. Yeah. So, and ironically enough, yesterday I went to have breakfast with one of the guys who sold me one of those duplexes. And this has been two or three years now. He has two more that he's ready to sell with complete seller financing. And he's actually getting ready to move a commercial building that he has. Um, in the next year or two, and we're starting to structure that as well. So, you know, it's amazing. One letter can have just a ripple effect through time that's just so powerful. Yeah, I mean, and it's really just the definition of showing that real estate is such a relationship based business. Yeah. So you continue the relationship, you build it, you guys are going out to eat, you know, that's awesome. Breaking bread together. You know, the trick with that is he didn't know me from anybody else sending him a letter, but he, he looked at me and we started it, but I've done everything that I said I was going to do for him. Yep. Um, every payment has been automated and lands in his mailbox, just like I promised I would. Yep. And we do that with all folks that either give us private money or seller financing and things like that. And it's, it's essential because if you miss it once, yep. probably going to call the next guy. Yeah, you, you break off that trust. So being a man of your word is crucial. It's very important. Okay, so um, direct mail, that was very successful. After doing it yourself for a little bit, you did start hiring it out? I did, yeah. Um, and we tried a couple different firms like yellowletters.com worked yep. for, us for a while. Um, eventually, you know, I scaled to the point where I had enough and we just kind of retired the direct mail stuff. Now, in the last year, we've come back to it, targeting things like probates, pre-foreclosures, divorce, things like that. Um, and of course, again, not because we want to take advantage of anyone's situation, but we have found people who say, I'm overwhelmed and I, I have this house that I cannot fix. I don't have the means to, and I need a new start and we can provide that for them. So. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you're coming into a problem that they have and just offering the solution. So they can either take it or not. It's no hard feelings either way. They definitely have a problem. So that's awesome. Yep. That's right. 
Cool. So when you are jumping into these deals, like what is, what is your, your newest avenue right now that you're, you're really getting your leads from? Sure. So what we've tried to do, um, again, direct mail is kind of one of our things that we're working on right now. Um, oh, currently as well. Okay. It is. Yeah. We're working on actually today, later today, I'm going to go talk to someone who is kind of behind on payments and just looking for some help. So okay. I kind of retired direct mail once upon a time because I just didn't have the time or the bandwidth to keep it up. Yeah. Um, but you'll like it was successful for me in the past and it's clearly successful for me now, but it's really been systematized. I have um, a local partner that I work with who he's got the time and the hustle, super smart guy. I don't know if Kelly's watching, but Hey Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and he's got the time to put some of that stuff together. Um, so he's kind of that leg of my portfolio and my, you know, my, um, my investing and it's worked really, really well. So he, he drives all that, it's systematized, and now I don't really have to think about it until that lead comes in, and if it's very positive, then I'll go out and, and work with those sellers. Okay, do you mind breaking down just like step-by-step step the system behind it and, and how it all runs to be able to get these leads? Like what do you guys do? Because yeah. a lot of people I feel like are struggling in certain markets to find these leads. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are reaching out to me on a daily basis and having issues getting the next lead and, and really finding a motivated seller. Yeah. No, and I think, um, you know, your listeners probably hear us say Indiana and they, they write it off as though it's kind of a cold market. Fort Wayne is a screaming hot market. I think yep. yesterday or earlier this week, there were two houses for sale of less, that were less than $150,000 in some of the, you know, the, the key areas that we're looking at. Yep. Uh, it's, it's tough. Um, so we, we've had that challenge as well. When we started our direct mail this round with, with Kelly and I, we got a lot of calls, but we weren't landing deals. And not really nearly as many calls as we had gotten in years past. And so you keep asking yourself, is your letter format wrong? Should it be handwritten? Should it be typed out? I like a very professional letter, but our experience has been that people respond to handwritten letters or at least yep. letters that look like they've been handwritten. Yep. Um, so I think that changing over to that has been helpful, but what really made the difference just even in the last month or two is we're working really hard to turn them around fast, really, really, really fast. So when we have, we're fortunate here in Allen County, which is Fort Wayne area, you can get online and you can do a lot of that research. And if you do it repeatedly every couple of days or at least once a week, you get those new leads and you have to jump on them right away. Mm. And it's, it's made a notable impact for us. So places like Yellow Letters, again, they do a great job and a great business. But in our current climate, when it's this hot, we just felt like it wasn't giving us that competitive advantage because we lost so much time in the turnaround. So we're doing, we're doing them locally. It would be tough to scale up the way we're doing it now, but we'll keep pounding away at these couple of niches and see where it goes. Yeah. So are, are you just looking up like listsource.com and kind of getting the criteria? I know you already mentioned the criteria. Sure. No, actually, that's a really good question. Here in Allen County, uh, we have some online systems where you can go and look at the different courts and nice. look at individual cases. Now it takes a lot of energy and Kelly puts a lot of time into that. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of stuff I can do because I'm, you know, a licensed drug dealer at the hospital, <laughs> but he's doing that. So if you can find, you know, you have to find those partners who can make up for what you can't provide. And, and he has the bandwidth to do that. And it's, it's working. Yeah. I used to be a street drug dealer, like growing up, really wrong side of the path. You know, I, I didn't do the schooling like you did to, to do it legally the right way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, we all have some paths. <laughs> yeah, no, no, good for you, man. Good for turning the corner. <laughs> 
I, I do recommend this to everybody first getting started. Whatever area that you are looking in, each county, each town, they do it differently. So like yours in particular, they have a website, they have a platform that you can look up all this, the, the criteria that you're really looking for to get your list. Sure. And my particular area has that for tax deficiencies, which is okay. good because right. I've got a couple leads recently from that, which has been awesome. Like I can pick up for a couple thousand bucks from a motivated seller that's just planning on letting their property go to, to auction. Yeah, absolutely. But each place, each location, it does it differently. So whatever area that you're looking at, like really dive in, call the, call the town, call the clerk and get educated on your area so you can really branch off with that and run with it if that possibility is available. Basically, you get these leads, Kelly's doing it, and afterwards you're starting to send out the mail. What number do they call? Do they call Kelly or are you talking to them and trying to analyze the deal, then close them? Yep. Um, we use a Google voice number um, okay. that allows us to kind of send it back and forth to yep. whoever's phone wants to cover at a given time. Um, it also gives us, you know, email records and we, yep. can, we can do anything with it. It's, it's pretty amazing. At least at the level that we're scaled at, maybe if we were getting calls all day long, maybe that wouldn't be the right tool. But for us, for the most part, I'll cover them. Um, but a lot of times I can't take them immediately during the day. So I know <laughs> obviously the best thing is to answer the phone every time it rings. Yeah. Uh, but I try to follow up with people as quick as I can. And uh, especially in a hot market, you, you got to be quick. So there's probably opportunity for improvement there. But I, I do enjoy the dialogue with those sellers and, and seem to be able to gain a decent rapport. Um, so for now, we'll stick with that. And if it gets to be too distracting, then we'll pivot. Yeah, no, I definitely highly recommend for anybody out there listening, Google numbers are the best. That's what I use as well for any of my bandit signs or direct mail marketing. And it is just easier to keep track of. Plus, if you do have partners, you guys, it will ring at the same time. So whoever picks up first, and that is very key to any type of success with direct mail is if you have a motivated seller calling you and they're ready, they probably have a list, uh, like a bunch of different letters. So make sure that you're answering and, and dealing with these guys as soon as possible. So when you are answering the phone and talking to them, basically you're on the phone for what, 20, 30 minutes and probably less, hopefully. Uh, I, I know on mine, sometimes I'm on there for a little long trying to hear their story and figure out what's going on with the situation. And then are you just running numbers really quickly uh, and giving them an offer over the phone or trying to set that appointment to meet with them one-on-one? -on -one? My goal when I've got them on the phone is to really um, kind of understand their situation and really be empathetic. Um, I think the opportunity, at least from my standpoint, is less about getting an offer to them right then and more about kind of winning them over or at least creating a level of comfort with you. I, I think most people are kind of suspicious when they call to begin with. Yeah. Um, you can't, yeah. You can't blame them for, you know, some people call and they, you know, how'd you get my name and my number? And, and we try to be just real honest about that. But so start by building, building <laughs> I rarely make an offer over the phone. So I like to go out and see that property if we can. Um, yeah. So for example, that's what we're going to go do today. I talked to a gal last night, super nice, very pleasant. We got to chat about all sorts of things and it probably did take 20 minutes or so but we'll go see her tonight. And, you know, I can, I can be thinking about my numbers and doing my analysis after the phone call and then go, go chat with them. Okay. Now, are you giving like three different options for, for the sale to them to really give them a couple different, like we could do seller finance, we could do just kind of presenting all their options that would be in their best interest as well as yours. I try to, um, you know, I don't have a rule of thumb that says you're always okay. going to do three offers, um, yeah. you know, and that's because 
a probate is going to present very, very differently than a pre-foreclosure. For sure. You know, in a pre-foreclosure, they might not have a whole lot of equity or they, they're already behind and kind of likely hurting for money or else they probably would have paid their bills. In a probate, these could be family who are stable and have enough money, but the house is in Fort Wayne and they live in California. You yeah. know? And so they don't have the same motivation. So I think, again, creating the rapport and understanding what their pain is and what their motivation is is key. And that leads you to what sort of offers you can make um, that'll be meaningful to them. That's good. Yeah. But, but I do like to try to give them multiple if there are multiple scenarios and in today's appointment that we'll go to, I can see uh, two different options. And so I'll, I'll let her choose. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Sometimes they put themselves in a hole or, or some kind of situation that you know, we really don't have too many options here. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I like that. Okay. So how are you funding these deals? I know you mentioned seller financing and you're obviously getting creative with a, a lot of other strategies as well, but I'm sure the, the J-O-B definitely helps. Um, but are you still going out there and getting financing? Sure. So I started out with about $150,000 to invest with. And uh -huh. here in the Midwest, that goes a long way. You can, yeah. you can do a lot of that with down payments and all of that. So I started out with commercial lending, 20 year notes. And again, I have a, a good job and a good credit score. So that's very easy for me to do relatively easy. It's still work, but, and given that they're commercial notes, I can get as many of them as they're willing to give me. I don't have a ceiling that I'm going to hit with those, but you know, we, we went through my investing funds in the first year, year and a half. And then it was time to figure out a lot of the seller financing that came with a lot of those duplexes. Um, and we still use a lot of seller financing, but um, at that point we started looking to some partnerships as well. Cause again, you try to find those partners that bring to the table what you don't have. And so I've looked to a couple of partners who were well off. They didn't have much time, but they wanted to invest in real estate locally. And they'd seen what I've done on social media and, and, some of these folks have approached me before I even came to them to say, Hey, if you ever want to do something, let me know. And so we do have a couple of partners where they're the money and I basically do everything else. Now, I don't swing the hammers and all that, but I handle the transaction and the project oversight and we'll hire either property managers, contractors, things like that. So okay. that, that has helped us scale to the next level. Okay. And what are you like looking for right now as far as your next deals? I know you got a couple flips coming in the mix very soon from, I'm, I'm guessing, the lead source of some direct mail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned before, every new thing that I do kind of stems from you hit a wall, right? And you, yeah. you have to pivot or you have to try something new. And I'm kind of to the point where like 36 is a lot, you know, working full time and having the family and, and trying to make sure that they get what they need and all of that. Um, it, it's a lot. And so, I've been looking more and more to multifamily. We have done, uh, I haven't been a uh, principal or sponsor on syndications, but I've begun working with some of those folks and, and raising along with them for syndications. Yeah. So that's been a great opportunity for me to learn and grow. Yeah. So doing some of that, but since I have partners here who can help me with single family leads, we're still pursuing that. And kind of the last thing that's kind of atypical for my, and I don't know that I'd call it a lead source, but I network a lot here in Fort Wayne. And so word of mouth has really kind of become a thing yep. um, when there's a new fourplex or a single family or something. Um, I have to put much less effort into my lead generation than I used to. So while I'm kind of figuring out, do I want to go bigger multifamily? Do I want to keep doing the small stuff? I don't know. I, I'm kind of at that point where I'm, I'm learning the syndication and larger multifamily. And I think that's where, where we'll go, but I've got a lot of learning to do still. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more attractive. I remember that's how we met 
originally at the in Phoenix at the syndication workshop. And in, instead of having a bunch of units scattered out, and obviously they're doing well, they're, they're very successful, but it's a lot more moving pieces that they're all a little bit different. So if we could keep all of them underneath one building, it would definitely be a lot more attractive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now with 36 units, that's 36 water heaters and that's 36 bathtubs, if not more, you know, I mean, just stuff like that. And so if I could trade my 36 units for 24 units in one or two different buildings, I'm, I'm at that point where it would make more sense just from an economies of scale standpoint. So that's, that's what we're looking at, but multifamily is super hot right now and it's really tough to, to pursue at that level. It is. Yeah. A lot of them, in my opinion, kind of getting inflated out there. So, so you really got to find that emerging market that, that it's just going to keep on booming. Yep. Agreed. So you guys did start a, a real estate uh, investment group locally. I know you were going to one and then you decided to, for one reason or another, decided to move on and, uh, and kind of, you know, move on to something else and, and, bring some of these guys with you, you know, just give the offer out there. And now it's really just after a short period of time, it's really starting to blow up, which is awesome. Like congratulations to you guys. Yeah. It's really exciting. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Do you mind just diving into that for a second of where people can find you and be able to help out more people? Yeah, absolutely. So about 18 months ago, we started uh, the Fort Wayne Real Estate Investors Association. And I started that just kind of wanting something different, um, really trying to just elevate the name of landlords and real estate investors in and around town, um, teaching just ethical approaches to being a landlord, you know, because there's there's a lot of people out there doing various things and, and we want to be doing things the right way, even if it means we might make a little less, you know. Yeah. So I um, started that group after about 12 months or so. It has grown so fast that it got to be fairly overwhelming. And so Adam Beckstadt uh, was willing to come in and help. And he was on your show I don't, a couple of numbers back. Yeah. And he's brought a lot of uh, creativity and just fresh ideas and really helped me kind of carry the load. And so there's some months where he carries the majority, some months I'll carry the majority, but either way, it's, I'm, I'm grateful to have him along. But the, the way we've structured it is we didn't really want to do a restaurant or dinner or anything like that. I felt like that was a distraction. I wanted us to come together for two hours once a month and really just learn from each other, support each other, network, and let that be the focus as opposed to be distracted by food and restaurants. And my vision for it was that it would be big enough that we would probably outgrow whatever restaurant or cafe or whatever we'd start with. First meeting had 25 people. Now a year and a half later, the Facebook group is over about 600. And that, and we, we work hard to actually screen a lot of the folks that come in. We want yeah. you to be investors, you know, not vendors who want to come sell us things and you know, if you're a realtor, that's great if you're an investor, but this is not a tool for lead generation, you know. Um, so again, everyone's welcome, but we want to make sure that we have a common theme amongst us. And so 600 members, but that's with us probably screening out a, a good majority. Um, but then month to month, we have our meetings. And I think last month we had over 70 people. And that's, you know, we've been in the 60s or 70s every month. Um, and it's, it's, one, it's very, very humbling, and I'm grateful for the, all the people that come and make it a phenomenal group, um, but it's just a blast. I mean, it's probably the highlight of my month. I, I yeah. really, really enjoy it. You know, I, I think it just, it really symbolizes your character because it is free. It's, you're all about networking, and that's what has, I'm sure, contributed a ton to your success thus far. I know it's been for me, networking, building, building your brand, and letting, you know, just masterminding with a bunch of different individuals and really helping out weaving out the BS that really would just probably take 
from people and uh, and not be even useful. So I, I'm very passionate about the whole education platform of breaking off the limited beliefs for a lot of people and really just motivating them and preparing them to take action. So it, it definitely aligns. I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that we work hard to keep it free. That's one of our guiding principles. I specifically wanted this group to be fully accessible for people. I don't think you should have to pay to hang out and network and learn. Yeah. Um, if you, if you want to do that, there's lots of avenues to do that, but that's not us, you know, and again, we want it to be very accessible and welcoming to everybody. And so it's, it's fit us really well so far. So me personally, I love the free aspect. I still feel like there's a small piece of me that feels like you got to pay to pay attention yeah. to, really, to really grab some from yourself and almost not, not making it mandatory, but almost like passing around a bucket or having something there that people can contribute to, to even like a nonprofit or like to build up enough funds. I think down in Mexico, you can build a house for like a, it's like six or seven grand. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about starting up something like that just to be able to build up and you can do it within like two days with like 10 to 20 guys, which is awesome. Right. Yeah. We, we've talked about the fact that if everything's free, then do people really come and are they engaged and do they, are we helping them move forward if they don't have skin in the game? And we'll continually kind of look at that and assess it. I do think there's a, a solid argument for that. Yeah. Um, but we have talked about, you know, with the size that we are, maybe we start doing a couple field trips or projects here in the community, or how do we take the size that we are now and put it to uh, even better use? You of know, course. Start looking out, outward instead of inward. So yeah, uh, see, that's, that's kind of the next step, I think. I love it. I love it, dude. And I think like starting off this way is exactly where it needs to be because you're grabbing all the attention and you're really getting the right people in the room, which is very, very crucial and weaving out all the BS. So that is awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't mean to jump around. I, I typically don't want to like jump around all over the place, but I really want to dive in more on uh, finances and yeah. raise, like, are you raising capital at all? You know, again, we, we have worked on some syndications in the past and, and there will be something new eventually that comes on. And so I'm really excited about just kind of learning and growing myself to uh, better position myself. Uh, okay. These come. I don't necessarily have my own uh, capital raising or anything specific for my local deals. Okay. Uh, we really look to, I've got three or four partners and for now that's enough access to cash. Yeah. Uh, it's the deals that are the problem. I have yeah. enough people saying, Hey, if you want to spend my money, I'll let you. And I say, I'd love to, but I, you know, the market's so hot, it's tough. So I, I think our focus is really uh, less about finding the funds and more about finding the deals while the market's hot. And what is the average amount of deals that, that you're playing around with per month? Just, you mean like uh, the number of things I analyze and look at? Yeah. You know, honestly, it's kind of feast or famine, you know, mm -hmm. uh, th this month I put probably three or four offers out. Um, yeah. I've analyzed a minimum of 15 opportunities, I think, uh, maybe more. But, you know, the previous months when the phone wasn't ringing, then it was, it was a little slower. Um, yeah. So I don't know. For us, you know, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Okay. Do you believe in, for somebody first getting started, playing the numbers game of like analyzing a ton of deals and whatever the numbers make sense at, at, at the end of like their analysis, they should submit an offer on it, whether how ridiculously off it is or not? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's good to have some of those guidelines, like, you know, you, you find 100 deals and you analyze 50 of them and you offer on 20 of them and you hope that you get, one, you know, something like that. Um, I think that's a good approach. It, it at least holds you accountable to making offers and moving forward. 
Um, I, I don't know that I would tell people to blindly move forward or make offers if it didn't make sense to do so. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but I do think there's value in the accountability that says, I am going to make X amount of offers this month, and that means I have to look at this many deals, which means I have to generate this many leads. Mm -hmm. there's, there's value in that, especially if your business is, if your primary business is direct mail or something that's lead generating, for sure. Okay. All right. Uh, before we wrap up, I also want to ask about like land contracts and seller financing. So I know on the Midwest where you guys are at, a lot of people call seller financing land contracts, but do you believe there's a difference? Uh, there's definitely a difference. Um, admittedly, I'm not so eloquent that I'll be able to define all of them. Okay. Um, okay. Some other states, they talk about contract for deed. So seller financing Again, consult your lawyer and all of that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. When it comes to seller financing, basically they're going to sell me the property, but I have the deed. Right? Okay. They're just providing the funding. Now, of course, they get a first position against that property. Yep. Um, where I, I tend to try to buy with seller financing, I try to sell on land contract. And that's because on the land contract, I as a seller then maintain the deed. And if they default, then we go through the foreclosure process and all of that. Of course. Um, so, and again, every state's a little bit different and I would encourage you to, to learn and understand more about that. Now, admittedly, um, while I feel pretty strongly about some of those methods that I use and, and pretty comfortable in them, there, there is a lot of risk. Um, some people won't touch land contracts because they would rather evict someone if there's a problem, which you can evict on a rental. You can't necessarily evict um, on a land contract. Sometimes you can, most of the time you can't. You'd have to go through a foreclosure process and that can be pricey. Yeah. Case in point though, to tie a, to tie a circle around all of it, um, as part of my team, I have contract lawyers that draft all of it up. So I, I will bring the terms to my lawyer and say, hey, can you draft this up? And so my seller and I will meet at the lawyer's office to take care of it. And we even have title companies here in Indiana. I know some states, they just close at lawyer's offices, but I choose to go to the lawyer's office. And that way um, I have help and guidance from the professionals who know what they're doing. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I typically uh, use a title company and they have a lawyer in house, but, but yeah, I, I think going with the professionals and, and really that builds credibility as well with somebody that you're just meeting that might be on the fence to see like, who is this person? Or do they really have my best interests at heart? Yeah. So I think that's good. Yeah. And one other thing I'll just mention with the land contracts, again, I sell a lot on land contracts and, and we could get into the whys if you wanted to, but there are a lot of investors that I see creating land contracts and doing it uh, in a very nefarious or, or unscrupulous way where yep. you really take advantage of people and yes. that I absolutely cannot condone. Um, when I sell a house to someone on land contract, my goal is for them to get the house without question. Yeah. And so far we've been about 50, 50. Um, I think nationally, I, I forget what the number is, but like 86% of land contracts fail and yeah. the investor gets the house back and then they get to rinse and repeat. And that's not what I want to be about. I want to make sure um, that I'm doing everything I can to help those individuals be successful. So let's talk about this for a second. And I'm, I'm glad that I am jumping around a little bit because uh, I haven't done this yet, but I do offer it to all my tenants after one year of successfully renting, as long as it's not like a multifamily. If it's a single family, I, I do the burst strategy. So I do the full remodel and then I rent it out and I refinance afterwards. 
So I want to promote, especially in the area, like ownership of property and also for them to take more care of the property and really take like pride in, in what they're living in. Right. So do you mind explaining what that looks like of how you're setting up these deals? And I really love your morals, like kudos to you for obviously you're raised right. uh, But a lot of people out there, the statistics show it, it it is 80 something percent. It's something crazy that, you know, nationwide, a lot of these landlords out there are doing these contracts with the tenant and not making it that favorable, like almost setting them up for failure. Right. So how do you yeah. set yours up differently to, to make sure that, that they do have a very solid chance of purchasing the property and cashing you out down the road? Right. No. So I'll be happy to speak to it. Um, so we do use the Burr method, basically, where you're going to buy it, rehab it. We then refinance it to pull our money out. But rather than rent it, we will deliberately sell it on land contract. And in a Fort Wayne market, it blows people's minds because you can sell that house in a, in a hot second. Yeah. Uh, the reason I do land contracts, and sometimes I'll rent, but sometimes I'll do land contracts. And the reason I do that is one, we do require a 10% down payment up front. And that's significant. If it's a $100,000 house, that's a $10,000 down payment. Yeah. Uh, but that's why you want to structure it so that they can be successful. Because when they fail, then the landlord gets that $10,000 and they just rinse and repeat. And we want them to be successful. I don't want to take advantage of people that way. So. Um, so we'll refinance it. And then I, oftentimes I'll list it on the MLS um, and put it out there. And some people will assume that if you're selling it on land contract, that there's a defect with the house. For us, that's not the case. These houses are standing tall. They're in good shape. They're houses that you and I, anybody would want to own. I choose to do it on land contract because while I work full time and want to stay super busy doing pharmacy stuff, I don't want the rental calls and the things that break in the middle of the night and all of that. With a land contract, they own the house. And for the most part, I'm really just the bank. And so for those that we've set up, I use Buildium for all of my rentals and my portfolio. And so those paychecks just come every month. Now, the way we structure those is we require 10% down. I do sell it at market value. We don't take any discounts off that. So I do get the price that I want. Um, I am happy to pay a realtor who will bring a quality contract buyer. Um, you know, the same commission I would if I were selling it uh, on, you know, just a typical transaction. Um, you know, and, and then we do kind of go through a process of evaluating the risk with those buyers. You know, we're not necessarily looking for people who can't manage money and have lots of credit problems. Um, but there are great people who go through divorce and, and they might make six figures a year, but they just can't get their loan. Well, there's lots of people who don't have W-2 income. And so it's very difficult for them to get a loan, but maybe they're running just a killer startup or a, you know, a four person business and they're making 200 a year and they just, they can't go get that loan, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those are kind of the people that we're gearing it towards and looking for. If we can't find those quality sellers, then we don't sell it on land contract and we might go on to rent it. Um, but every, everyone we've listed has sold and it's, and we give them um, a three year term. Um, okay. so they, have, they have three years to go get their own permanent financing. Um, and then we look at what the normal rates would be and usually add two to 3%. And we kind of look at what the risk is. So right now, if you could go get a house for, let's say 6%, you know, we're looking at probably an 8%, 8.5% interest rate. Okay. But besides that, the, the terms are, are very standard for each one. It's always three years balloon payment. Yep. That's exactly right. Okay. Um, you know, and I have someone right now who's right at the end of their three years and, 
and I could kill the contract and I could take the house back and it's appreciated almost $40,000 since I've sold it to them. But I don't want them to lose the house. They made a huge down payment on this house. And so we're going to go back to them and I'm, I'm likely to extend it one more year. Um, but we're going to go through some credit repair stuff and, and really give our best effort to help them be successful. Now, if they're not successful, at least I can put my head on the pillow at night saying we tried everything we could to, to help them out. And, you know, I can only go so far. They have to help themselves as well. Of course, 100%. I, I love that, though. You really do have the right mindset, the right heart in, in the right place, which is awesome. Kudos to you, brother. I really do appreciate it. Sure. Dude, that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. So with these down payments, are you calculating, when it comes down to the market price of what you're selling it for, are you listing above a little bit? Are you giving some wiggle room? Because in three years, especially in emerging market, you can almost anticipate it will go up that 40%. Yeah, I, I try not to inflate it too much. You know, if, if this is a, you know, three bedroom, two bath that would sell for 110, we're gonna sell it for 112, maybe 115 at least the number I believe that it would appraise for if they got their loan today. Because the reality is, is hopefully in the next 18 months, 24 months, they're going to refinance with a bank or, or standard financing. And we're going to have to go through that appraisal process anyway. Yeah. If I pulled that $110,000 house for 140 and it doesn't appraise, well then I'm not helping them be successful. Yeah. So we, we try to be realistic with it. But the reality is, is I'm getting my exact sales price, um, I'm minimizing all my closing costs because we'll close it with the lawyer and just, you know, kind of on our terms. If I do use a realtor, there might be commissions there, but I'm also a realtor, so I don't have to pay those commissions on the selling side. Um, it's, it's, it's a good model. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think in the future, um, you know, I, I get the whole concept of it and the ins and outs, the pros, the cons. Uh, I think just analyzing the right fit for the right person just to make sure because I naturally think about, okay, so if they put down 10 grand or five grand in certain situations, but 10 grand, let's say, could they get pissed off or, or something at the end or really damage the property that sure. is going to cost more than that? And then I'm like, ah, I got to take back this property dealing with these, with these people. That's definitely a risk, but I can tell you if you go into it and maintain good communication, yeah. build good rapport, um, you know, and again, your listeners are hearing us talk about $110,000 houses and where they're at that won't buy a hovel. You know, here, you know, the average price of a house is 120, 140. You know, so these are middle of the road houses. You know, I, I would not advise this strategy with maybe C minus D neighborhoods. You know, in my market, that's a $60,000, $70,000 house because you're, the type of buyers that you're going to get may or may not know, be successful or they might take out the aggression on the house. But even my land contracts that have not been successful, most of them have, have said they're, you know, either they get divorced or they're transferred to another city or, and, and they're happy to walk away. And it's as nice or nicer than I than I sold it to them. Wow. I love that. They will come where someone kicks my teeth in and destroys a house. But you know, I work hard to find the right people so that it's a partnership as we move forward. And I think most of them, um, to respect that and, and so far it's it's been good yeah that's awesome so what kind of neighborhoods are you investing in is it typically like a b class or are you shooting for a yeah so again my goal working full-time is to have as few headaches as is possible 
little drama, things like that. So I do own some lower end properties and I've got great local property managers um, that help me out with those. But I tend to have probably that B class neighborhood, you know, quality okay. houses that are probably no older than 40 or 50 years old at most. Um, so the electrical is modern, the plumbing is relatively modern. And these are going to be kind of your blue class, your blue collar working class um, individuals. We don't really do any section eight. It's not because I have any stigmas against it or, or I'm opposed. It just doesn't fit my model. I, I'm looking for folks who are accustomed to working hard, get a paycheck, pay their bills every month. And, and that I can relate to that tenant. I know how to motivate that class of tenant. And so for now, while I'm working full time and want few headaches, we tend to have higher end properties, but you make less generally speaking on, on those kind of properties. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm willing to make less with fewer headaches than to make more and be just drowning in it every day. No, I think, I think that's a smart way to go about it. You know, me personally, I invest in properties right around like the 100-year age, 80 to 100, and there's so many different things that could potentially go wrong. It's great craftsmanship, but we have to do the full remodel. I'm talking like gut down to the walls and all new plumbing, electrical, you know, you name it. Kitchens, bathrooms, they're all getting gutted completely. So there's a lot of moving pieces that end up making that whole remodel project like a friggin' project. Yeah. And uh, working a full-time job. For many years, I was working a part-time job and doing it. But at this point, I just, I don't know. It's it's definitely a task. And, you know, in the beginning, dealing with not the right contractors, trying to figure out the whole leadership aspect. Let's talk about that just for one second before we end this. How are you getting these? I know your networking is very important and, and crucial. Are you getting a lot of referrals when you're building your network? of individuals like professionals to really deal with. So you're avoiding all the BS. Um, you know, when it comes to the professionals and such, I, I built my business right out of the gate with looking for those professionals that could help me. Yeah. Um, and so now I'll get a new referral every now and then, but I've got a pretty robust team in place um, that helps what I, the networking that, that we do today, it, honestly, it's mostly in, in the Fort Wayne Rear group. Um, and there's, there are a dozen new faces every single month, which is great. Um, but I just get to know more and more people. And, and we've had some of those people who are hustlers who maybe they do their own direct mail campaigns. Uh, we had one uh, pair of guys, sharp guys doing really, really well, but they came across the lead. They didn't know what to do with. It didn't feel like there was any equity there. Um, so they called me and we talked about it and, and I wound up taking that lead. I um, mean, it's one of the best cash flowing properties that I have now, but it took some creativity. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I didn't know exactly what to do with it. I had to go to the smarter people in the group, uh, but it's, it's just a testament to surround yourself with people. Even if you don't know why today, it will be fruitful for you. Um, so that's, that's kind of what my networking looks like now. I would like to do it more on a national level, kind of moving forward, but I, I am at a point where I have to pick and choose where I'm going to invest my time because it's, it's challenging. Yeah, it's crucial. It really is. Now, has there been any learning curves along the way as far as dealing with contractors or anything that's really smacking in the face? Um, honestly, I've been really fortunate to, to work with a lot of really great people. I haven't any, had anyone burn me. Um, we, I did have one house um, that we bought at the sheriff's sale, you know, so you can't do inspections and all that kind of stuff. Great house, rented it out right away, but we had a, a $20,000 sewer failure. And so that, that one hurt, that one hurt a lot, um, but, 
that's that's why you have cash reserves and you make sure that you're liquid enough to be able to take care of that kind of stuff. Now, I didn't have a whole lot more than twenty thousand dollars <laughs> in cash reserves, um, and and we're still kind of building up from that. But you have to be ready for that kind of stuff. So as far as getting burned, you know, again, I've been fortunate to have a lot of great people around me. Um, I'm sure the more I do, eventually that's going to happen. You know, I think for us, any any big surprises have just been with the houses themselves that either we missed when we inspected it ourselves or something like that. Yeah, I, I think as well at this point, if you if you haven't ran into those things and you really are building, you know, a huge network of people, it, it's kind of like, you're getting like an armor of a bunch of different individuals with a bunch of connections. You, you know him, which knows him, which knows this guy. And, and they're just going to realize like your statue um, to a certain degree that it wouldn't be the best move to, to screw anybody over. So, right. Right. Um, so kudos to you, brother. Hey, I really do appreciate your time for jumping on here and give back to all the listeners. So many different gold nuggets of really just breaking down your business. So I really appreciate you letting me put you underneath the spotlight here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's been fun. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. So how can people get a hold of you and is there anything that the listeners can do to give back to you? Yeah. You know, um, probably the Fort Wayne real estate investors association. There is a Facebook group. That's kind of, cool. that's one way to find me. Um, Facebook messenger of course is probably another way that uh, you're welcome to reach out, but yeah, I mean, reach out anytime that way, as far as what folks can help with, well, you know, right now I'm just kind of in a mode of, of kind of giving back and supporting the community at large and, and deciding whether I'm at max capacity right now or anything, you know. So I, I don't know that I have a whole lot of needs at the moment, but I appreciate the offer. Okay, awesome. Well, as always, everyone, I know there's tons of value in this. Make sure you reach out to Drew, pick his brain a little bit more and, uh, and show him some love on social media. You can always reach out to me at brandonelliotinvestments.com or Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, find me on facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott, R-E-I. Make sure you download and uh, subscribe to the, to the podcast on iTunes. The, the newest episode every single Monday will be released. And uh, yeah, just share it out to people. We're very motivated uh, and we're passionate about what we're doing by educating more people, breaking off that limited beliefs and uh, really just educating, motivating and preparing people to take action in real estate because what it's done for us has been tremendous. We definitely want to just bless other people and break off the limited beliefs of, you know, not having enough money or working a full-time job like this situation and still be able to crush it on the side with some passive income. So with that being said, appreciate you guys all for listening. And if you want these tickets, I know you do you want these tickets then uh, make sure you reach out to me ASAP because they're going to go quick. Leave a nice review and make sure you subscribe. Send a screenshot of that to me. And if the tickets are gone, then I will send you my book or the magazine 100% free as well. So, so regardless, you'll get something good. But Drew, appreciate you, brother, so much. Really do appreciate it. And uh, nothing but value on this one. So it was awesome. Yeah, thanks very much. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.